Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Humility Gap podcast. I'm Bethan Willis, and throughout this series, I'll be talking to academics, politicians, and public figures to find out how we can become more open-minded. We'll be looking at the virtue of intellectual humility in order to help us really focus in on the habits and practices which can enable us to become more open-minded. Throughout the series, we'll be interspersing full-length interviews with Café Chat episodes, hearing from students and others who have a particular perspective on the importance of open-mindedness and intellectual humility. Today we talk to Chelsea Haith, a Mandela Rhodes Scholar here in Oxford. We discuss how she and other African scholars have learnt to deal with the complexities of Cecil Rhodes' life and legacy, how world literature can increase our open-mindedness, and how an ethos of love, a desire to see goodwill in others, and a cultivation of empathy can all help us to approach disagreements in more open-minded ways. So it's great to be here today with um, Chelsea Haith. We're going to be talking about our themes of humility and open-mindedness together. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you very much. Um, it would be great to talk to you about your personal experience. You're involved in a huge range of projects, including your scholarship programme, the Writers Make Worlds project, and uh, Futures Thinking uh, project in uh, Torch, the Humanities Research Centre here at Oxford. Um, so beginning with your kind of personal experience. So you're from South Africa, and you are a Mandela Rhodes um, scholar, and that's got a kind of complicated history. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you've um, approached being a Mandela Rhodes Scholar and how you've thought through the kind of complexities of the history that is behind that? Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I became a Mandela Rhodes Scholar in 2017. Um, the Mandela Rhodes Foundation funds postgraduate study uh, for African scholars in South Africa. You have to attend a South African institution um, for, for a higher degree. And... Uh, part of the application process is about a two-page essay on the collaboration of the two names. Um, Mandela, um, carrying a long history of, um, of freedom and liberty, but also in South Africa, um, now in the contemporary discourse, problems of rainbowism, um, this idea that we've forgiven and forgotten, um, um, and, and the failures that that narrative has had to, um, to really ameliorate the society. And then, of course, Rhodes, whose uh, long history of, um, of colonial um, and uh, imperial impact on, on Southern Africa has been um, detrimental. So the reading of these two names together um, is a huge part of the, the leadership program. The Mandela Rhodes uh, Foundation is not just, um, here's money, do it do another degree. It's um, largely a leadership program. There are several workshops um, and they focus on different things. The first one is leadership, um, but in the middle of the year you work through reconciliation. And it's this, it's reconciliation, I think, is at the heart of what, what the Mandela Rhodes Foundation is trying to do. Thinking about um, one of their key tenets, which is closing the circle, this idea of, of, um, of a lot of South Africa's history having Rhodes... Um, you know, his legacy inscribed on it, uh, particularly with regards to the mines, um, and bringing that back around to um, Mandela, who began the Mandela Rhodes Foundation using seed money from the Rhodes Foundation here at Oxford. Um, and I think, I mean, 9,000 students um, apply every year, and, and in 2018 there were 100 scholars um, who were awarded the scholarship. 
Um, and you and in that space, you've got about nine thousand people writing very, very different essays, very um, uh, bringing very different perspectives from across the African continent. We've got scholars from Egypt and Mali and Togo and the Seychelles um, and obviously South Africa, um, sending in these ideas about what it means to bring two different but intersecting histories together. Um, and I think it's a question that you always sit with this this idea of um, being having been funded uh, and the money coming from a difficult place, a, a place of historical oppression and um, and violence, um, and using that to build new ideas. I, I often joke with friends, Rhodes would turn in his grave if he knew what some of us were using the money for, um, and that, that a lot of the you know that a lot of the scholars are black women, um, for example. And so I, I like the idea, playfully, I like the idea of, uh, of reversing the intentions of, um, of some of what's in the will, uh, Rhodes' will. But I'm also, I'm also interested in the sort of consistent introspection that's required um, but of being a Mandela Rhodes scholar, um, of being a white South African, um, similarly, and the histories of um, personal and historical entanglement um, with with grander historical narratives. Yeah. So in terms of relating this back to open-mindedness, do you think that um, going through the process of writing the essay as part of the scholarship, um, that that's really helped you personally um, to process perhaps some of the history um, that you've perhaps grown up with but maybe haven't really um, always uh, necessarily thought through in this particular way? Um, And what do you think the kind of qualities are that will help um, your generation particularly to think through um, the inherited kind of history that you have in South Africa and yeah, have better dialogue so where there's disagreement how do we kind of uh, approach that together hmm. I think that the, this question of disagreement I think is the key one in terms of reconciliation because there are so many competing narratives about what happened um, about, the, you know, about rainbowism, about Mandela, about roads um, you know, people say, you know, well, they gave, you know, the British gave us the railways and, and, and uh, in scare quotes, civilization. Um, and, and there were so many other concerns there. And it, it's really interesting to speak to scholars from across the continent because so many people um, value the business and the leadership um, ethos of roads. So lots of, lots of people who've come from, from elsewhere um, because they don't know the context of South Africa and, and because lots of countries in Africa are not. Um, settler colonies um, they are they are simply post-colonial um, simply in, again in scare quotes I think um, they think you know, these are both great men um, it's quite a jarring thing to, to realise that people might consider Rhodes to be um, a, a good man or an important and worthy man to, to aspire to be like and understanding that and those qualities, alongside the questions of um, alongside the questions of history, um, is is difficult as uh, as a person who grew up in South Africa. Um, but I think I was discussing I was discussing questions of how these conversations take place uh, with a friend who is also a former Mandela or is a former is a Mandela Road scholar. We're all Mandela Road scholars all the time. It's never a former or alumni. But and we were talking about um, an ethos of love. Um, and you go into these these spaces, and the way the way that the program is, is structured is designed um, is that it's a family, and you're supposed to there there is inherent to that family notion is is conflict, um, but it's it's conflict with the intent of growth, and I think 
that question of of disagreement of um, very different historical perspectives on a similar uh, or on a single event approaching those with this this kind of ethos of I don't think you're right but I want to know why you think what you think um, I think that is really really productive in terms of developing individual open-mindedness um, to to assume good faith um, and not to assume bad faith because I think at the moment particularly there is there is the there is the presumption of bad faith in in all politics in all interaction not in all interaction obviously um, but there there is there are anxieties there is suspicion and I think to approach um, these kinds of concerns um, with with that ethos of love with an open mindedness um, with the presumption that the person is not in com- you're not in combat um, you are trying to grow simultaneously with others. Um, I think that has been one of the, the, the primary takeaways from the Mandela Rhodes Foundation program for me. That's great. So, um, first, just short question. Is the um, ethos of love integral to the program? And that's, is that explicit? It's not explicit. It's not explicit. It was an yeah. experience. It was a sort of, it was the result of a conversation I had with yeah. a fellow scholar about how it worked, about why the program works. Yeah. Um, and then after that, how do you get to that place where you can have those kind of conversations? Is it because the scholars who are selected are selected on the basis of their kind of approach and their own personal ethos and values? Or is there a way that the programme is structured that brings you together within a certain framework that allows those um, conversations to happen? Or perhaps it's both? I, I definitely think it's um, it's both. that. Scholars are selected on the ba- on the strengths of their their CVs and the essay. I think the essay is one of the most important parts of the of the process, the selection process. Um, and there is also the way that the program is run, um, the 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 spirit, the energy of the organisers. Um, so Judy Sakuza runs the program. Um, she is the mastermind of it, and she is so energetic and caring and she approaches every student as though they are part of her family um and that that initial entry like this is how it is this is the this is the institutional culture of the space um that that from the get-go i think creates the space to have those conversations yeah so it's a kind of leadership that's setting up the right kind of ecosystem that yeah that's that's really helpful um so yeah, I think we're learning more about open-mindedness that we've kind of got the theme of love there and um, disagreement in with a focus on growth. So not on agreement, but on um, on growth. And yeah, and good leadership, which sets up this kind of ecosystem that um, can enable those conversations to happen. So let's have a little think about the um, Writers Make Worlds project that you've um, been talking about. So um, this is a project which is um, opening up the opportunity for um, non-specialists to engage uh, with more diverse literature. So tell us a little bit about that. So Writers Make Worlds is masterminded by Professor Erica Boma in the Faculty of English here at Oxford um, and supported by Dr. Erica Lombard, um, who is now at the University of Cape Town. And the intention is to provide non-specialist audiences such as uh, the wider public as well as undergraduates um, all, over the, all over the world and uh, high school learners, college-age students um, with information about um, BME writers, um, excerpts from their work, 
Um, so Writers Make Worlds provides uh, uh, short bios, overviews of BME writers' work, um, and then the occasional uh, close reading essay so that students can see, A, how the scholarship is done, how, how close reading um, a piece might look, but also um, that the work is being taken seriously for its form and not simply for the identity of the writers. And I think that's the that's the sort of the heart of it is this this um, valorization of the literariness of a lot of this work, this work. And it's not exclusively fiction. Some of it is performance poetry. And um, so I've written about Kaio Chingoni, um, as well as Vani Capodeo, who is a um, who is a poet and an expert in Old Norse. Um, uh, Watson Shearer, who is a performance poet and a written poet and featured in Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, but there are authors who write, you know, the traditional novel. Um, Zadie Smith, um, Zuri Ishiguro, for example, um, Teju Cole is featured, uh, Abdul Razak Gurna. So there's, there's um, I mean, there, there are, I would say, over 30 um, writers featured on the site now, um, all, all um, BME writers. And it's, uh, it's a really productive space, I think. Um, and I use it as a resource whenever someone contacts me and says, what, what should I be reading? Or I'm interested in this. Can you, can you give me more ideas? Um, I try and direct them towards Writers Make Worlds because it's, it's incredibly useful to get a sense of what is happening, um, who is doing the work um, that needs to be done to sort of open up British literature. Mm. And do you think that kind of careful approach of um, showing the literary merit um, is convincing to those who perhaps may think that that um, including BAME writers is a token gesture. Do you think that some people have actually kind of realised this is um, important in um, a new way? Or do you think it's helped people open their minds, I guess is what I'm asking. I certainly think the project helps people open their minds. Um, and there, was, there were questions around um, how, do, how does reading about um, people who are not like yourself um, in the work of BME writers uh, change your perspective on um, cultures other than your own um, or provide you with a, a sense of community for, from um, cultures that are um, like your own um, and the responses were overwhelmingly um, that that was the case, that people felt that they could sympathise with certain experiences um, you know, you know uh, questions of you know, teenage angst and um, you know, people resisting patriarchal families. I mean, that that is you know concerns that that um, that dominate throughout um, literatures by people of any identity. And I think the these the concentration on form um, is is a process of valorizing um, these literatures as literatures and not as as you say tokenistic um, writing. Um, and I think particularly the poetry, uh, at least for me, the poetry is, is one of the more one of the most productive spaces um, for thinking about um, how form communicates content um, and and how it can be really useful to change minds and um, and, and and create sort of emotive change. Yeah. So it seems like there that actually the project's doing a dual role because it's giving good reasons to engage with the literature. But then as people engage with the literature, it's reaching, reaching that emotional level, which I think um, sometimes we neglect, don't we? When we're um, in, in disagreement, we simply end up exchanging reasons, which doesn't quite get to the heart of why we might disagree or why we don't understand. And it's kind of engaging um, us on both those levels. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, so to kind of wrap up, what do you think you've learned from the variety of experiences you've had around your kind of 
personal practices or habits of open-mindedness? What would you um, think are kind of really good ways uh, for um, students, academics, but also those who are just you know listening to these debates or trying to form their own opinions? What are good habits um, that might help you to become more open-minded? This is a tech-oriented habit, I think, but something that, um, it, and it was, it was given to me, this is not my own idea, um, is to attempt to follow um, viewpoints that are not your own um, in social media spaces. Um, so, for example, like the organizations um, or follow organizations on Facebook or Twitter um, or Instagram that you would not ordinarily follow so that you're, you kind of change up your algorithm a little bit um, so that all of the content you're taking in so, so that not all of the content you're taking in rather is uh, directed uh, to you um, or to who you think it should be directed to um, and I think a big one for me is always to ask why is it that this person is angry and why is it that I am angry um, about emotive concerns and what has generated the anger um, and I typically find that anger is generated by fear um, and so when someone approaches, when someone poses an angry question um, in a Mandela Rhodes workshop, for example, um, about uh, sexuality, it's uh, what are you afraid of in this circumstance? Are you afraid of your way of life being changed? Um, you know, I'm thinking now about re reactions to, um, to Brexit um, and concerns. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't talk about politics. Um, but reactions to, um, to Brexit, reactions to uh, the alt-right is or reactions by the alt-right to gender studies, for example, um, is a fear of the, a way of life that, um, that one has known for a long time being taken away. Um, and it's, it's these kinds of conversations about um, equal rights is not, uh, does not mean that your rights will be limited. It is not pie. Um, you know, we're not distributing it, um, and there's only so much of it to go around, for example. And there's, there's um, I think that there needs to be a recognition of, why, of what people that we might be afraid of are afraid of themselves. Um, and that for me is, is a question of questions, um, is a concern of always asking, um, or is a, is a uh, requirement of asking questions um, of a circumstance. Um, almost at every stage of why is, it, why is this playing out in this way? Um, what, what sort of re what reactions have I triggered here accidentally um, that might be because we don't we don't manage ourselves as well as we might presume to, um, and so why why have I triggered um, anger in this person? Why have I what is um, what is provoking this person? And then what does that say about their worldview? Um, and how can I how how can I come how can I come to their their space without um, without agreeing to the extent that I um, disavow my own beliefs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. It's been um, wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you.